hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Don't want a doll, no dinky tinker toy. I want a hippopotamus to play with and enjoy. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Well, Merry Ding Dong Dangy Christmas to all of you out there in Strange and Deadly Land. Can you believe it? Can you believe you're hearing this voice again? The voice you've all been waiting for. I know you've been waiting for me. Uh, here I am, Chris Clayton on the Strange and Deadly Show. I'm not going to do all the intro spiel because this isn't really a, you know, a Strange and Deadly Show proper as it were. And that's going to be happening in 2017, but we wanted to give you what is ostensibly a Christmas special because it's that time of year. The festive cheer is here once again. I haven't been very cheerful in the latter part of this year particularly, but I'm putting it on in order to impress you guys. But uh, it's not just me, of course. This show wouldn't work with just me. It would be annoying. You wouldn't like it. You need somebody else. A calming, soothing, lovely voice. A hunky beef joint of a man. There he is, over there. It's Tom Elliott. Merry Christmas, Chris. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's good to be back. It is indeed. Yeah, it's been... How long has it been, Tom? I think we, we last released our uh, uh, Strange and Deadly, a proper Strange and Deadly episode in early November, wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was before that, but I, I can't was remember. I, I, was, I was thinking it was more September, October, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But what matters is we're here at Christmas, you know? That's all that matters. We're alive. We're reasonably well. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom, how have you been since last we spoke? Good. Working hard, you know, so uh, there's been that. But just ticking over a few Twilight Zone podcasts, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I've been very good. How about you? Yeah, I'm not interested in any of that, Tom. Uh, <laughs> creativity, creativity and everything. It's great. It's great. I love creativity. What I want to talk about is that bodacious bod of yours, Tom. Bodacious mm. bod, because as I understand it, you've uh, been getting into CrossFit, uh, which mm. I know only a little bit about, just a little bit. But you've become a hunky-dunky old man, haven't you? You know, the uh, not an old man. In fact, you've become young, youthful, strong, wise, I would say. And uh, quite frankly, you've left the rest of us, mankind, in the dust. Why? Why? Well, what can I say to that? You know, I've always been into my fitness for years, but I've found over the past few years because of my job and the hours that I was working, it sort of fell by the wayside. So for the past six months, I've been doing the old CrossFit thing and got the old bod back in shape. So, you know, it's it's important, I think. So I, I do my best. Do you know what? You can fuck off, mate. Uh, no, I'm just <laughs> joking, Tom. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And I have to say... Uh, from uh, being serious for a moment, which is not something I like to do, but uh, being serious for a moment, I think you're doing a damn good job of it. You look good. Thank uh, you. To be honest with you, I'm bitter with you. I'm bitter because you keep making fun of my doilies. You keep making fun <laughs> of my doilies, Tom, and I don't like it. They're not even mine, but I just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've ever been on my Instagram account, uh, it's uh, instagram.com forward slash the Chris Clayton, bit of promotion. Mm -hmm. uh, I often, when I get a Blu-ray or something, I'll, I'll post a picture of it. Uh, then people don't have to see my face, which is not its not impressive. And uh, I'll post a picture of it, but I often post a picture on the desk that's in the living room, which has a big old white doily on it. And uh, Tom, has become you've become quite enamoured with that, haven't you? I have, I have. You know, there's a nice juxtaposition between these horror movies or superhero movies 
on a nice doily, you know, I think it's very pleasant. There's nothing wrong with that. You're obviously very confident in yourself, so why not have a doily? Yeah. Exactly. I'm comfortable, mate. I'm comfortable with my sexuality, but he keeps making fun of it. He keeps making fun of it, guys, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about the the way the the path he's chosen to go down. You know, I'm his. I'm his friend. I've been supportive of him for years and years and years. I never make fun of him. I uh, I keep myself on the straight and narrow, and here he is. Bloody making fun of me. And have you ever seen his Instagram pictures? He can't bloody take one that's not blurry as shit. But I don't make fun of him for it, do I? I don't make fun of him. I'm very bitter about all this, and I, I wish you no success in this world. Well, you know, it's Christmas, Chris, so I hope by the end of this podcast, it'll be like the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future will have been to you and fixed all that, because... At the end of the day, what are we here for anyway? People are going to say, well, if you're not doing Section 3 films, what are you doing? I know, I know. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. I should be getting into the spirit of things, shouldn't I? Because it is Christmas. And, mm. you know, we're here and we're alive. We're doing a show. And that's what I was thinking, really, when it came time to record this special is we're both alive and we're both reasonably well. Why don't we record? Let's record while we can. Uh, so you put out a couple of uh, Twilight Zone podcasts. How that, how's that been going? It's been going good. You know, unfortunately, my work hours over the past month or so have sort of slowed it down a bit. But it's a show I'm very proud of. You know, it, it's went on far too long now. It was supposed to be a three-year show because that's how many Twilight Zone episodes it would fit into. Um, but it's turned into a five-year show, and I've still got like 99 episodes of The Twilight Zone to go, and I always end up doing special episodes in between, you know, interviews and reviews of other stuff, but I enjoy it, you know, it's a lot of work because of the nature of the show, there's a lot of kind of editing involved and that kind of thing, but I'm very proud of it, and I'm committed to getting to the end, so, um, you know, it's it's been good, and uh, I'll uh, I'll keep plugging on with it in 2017 oh mate you're gonna be doing that show for the rest of your life I know. Really <laughs> um, but i'll tell you what on twitter because I mean, i've just recently returned to twitter after a you know decent i think i was off there for about two months and i needed the break from it i think hmm. uh it's still not great <laughs> i have to say the uh the landscape that's there at the moment there's still a lot of bitterness and there's a lot of political agenda pushing and all that sort of stuff which is, is you know it's fair enough people have to have a voice of course but uh, is not what I personally got into Twitter for, uh, but it it's um every time I, I I'm on there and you post something about the Twilight Zone podcast, whether it's a new episode or whatever, and I, of course I'm on the I get access to the Strange and Deadly account, and sometimes people will sort of cross over with that and they'll send you you know messages about the Twilight Zone podcast on there. I guess because that's a point of contact for um mm. for people who listen to the podcast, and it's always positive. People always enjoy what you do, and there's a soothing quality to it. From, from listening in the but I don't listen to it on a dedicated basis simply because I'm not a uh, quote unquote Twilight Zone fan. I haven't had a chance to really dig into the oldest older series yet. I will. It's it's something uh. that's you know sort of there for me, and then I can I get the joyous task of sort of going back and listening to your podcast all the way through and um, feeling a bit jealous of you. But it always seems to have been received well, and that's that's something I think is great. After three years of doing it and you not having a sort of proper schedule for it, you do it when you can. It's always received in in a positive way, I think. Mm. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I brought it out at a time when there wasn't really any Twilight Zone podcasts about someone had done one and it, it died after three episodes. Um, I think there was one on some sort of uh, website, but it wasn't on iTunes and all that. So 
it was kind of like the first proper one in a, in a lot of ways but now there's so many of them uh, there really is so many of them some good some you know i'm not going to say bad i'm not going to say anyone's name them name them some some less to my taste um but you know so the landscape has changed in that time and it's a funny thing because you know when you and i decide because we've we've thought oh we'll do a podcast on this in the past haven't we and we haven't done it because <laughs> yeah. there's always there's been someone else doing it so we'll say right we'll think of something else we'll try and fill a gap rather than just reiterating what someone else has done not so with the twilight zone podcast there's about there's so many of them now um but i'm glad to say even in that landscape i've got great listeners and they they stayed loyal to me even on that that choppy schedule so you can't really ask for more than that no not at all and you've got lots of itunes reviews as well i think you've got over a thousand on there haven't you i think you were po- you were posting about the other day so i mean that's quite a lot not not that many i've, I've got um no? i've got about 95 in the u.s so i've nearly got 100 right. which is good um and... where did i get a thousand from then that's weird but yeah but anyway you know we're talking about the twilight zone podcast so let's not talk about me what about you what are your plans going forward? Well, I've had a terrible end to the year, uh, <laughs> so things things can only get better, mm. as that song once said. Was that D Ream? I can't remember. But uh, things can only get better from here, really, I, I suppose. Uh, I've been dealing with illness in the family. That's all I really want to say on that. Uh, of course, we took another huge break, which we didn't intend on doing. We never do. But um, things are a little bit dicey, and they may continue to to be so in the future. I hope not. It would be lovely to get back into a rhythm of releasing regular shows. You know, you look at someone like Jim Moon, and you think, blimey, we're never going to get there, are we? We're never going to get to that level of consistency, and it would be nice, but... Unfortunately, uh, you know, real life has, has dictated otherwise. But as yeah. far as what I'm doing in 2017, well, of course, we're going to be continuing with the Strange and Deadly show. This isn't going away. We're going to carry on. We're going to finish up the Section 3 list. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, you and I, Tom, have a plan in the works for something else, uh-huh. which we're we're not going to reveal just yet until we've figured out the name for it. Which <laughs> has been a, it's been very, very difficult. Both of us have been brainstorming on it, and we've got a document of file, uh, uh, files, a document of names, um, that we're, we're sort of working through and trying to figure out what's best. And it, it, yeah. it's difficult, but we'll get there. But that's a, a big passion project for the two of us mm. uh, that we'll both be, much like this, we'll be co-hosting it together. And then as far as what's what's happening for me, I'm doing a show uh, about, I just announced it on Twitter the other day, uh, I'm doing a show about Asian cinema, mm. uh, which is was it originally going to be a show all about kung fu movies and i decided to broaden it a little bit uh there will be a lot of martial arts in it mm. uh, a lot of martial arts so it's not you know um it, it's not but it's not just going to be one thing i'm going to be covering a, a little bit of asian horror there's going to be samurai films in there there's going to be uh wuxia films sword play there's going to be all sorts of stuff in there and my goal is to make it very accessible for people who perhaps have never watched a film like that before or not really interested in them yeah. And to sort of, you know, the it's going to be a, split into seasons. So it will mm. be a 10-episode season, uh, all recorded in advance, the first season of it. Um, because I, I want to accomplish it and get it done, a 10-episode body of work, and put it out there. And if it's received very well, brilliant. If it isn't, then I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll take it on the chin and, and move on. But um, And then we'll see where we go from there. Maybe the second season will have a bit of room for feedback. But it, So it's going to happen in, in the first half of 2017. Uh, but it will be done in between the stuff that you and I are doing, Tom, as you uh-huh. know. 
the listener may think, oh, blimey, what's he going to do? Is he going to leave Tom behind? Well, uh, I'd liken it a little bit to what you're doing with the Twilight Zone show, where it's something that you do... I mean, lately it's been your main thing, really, but normally when we're doing Strange and Deadly every fortnight, it would be kind of your thing on the side, a passion Uh project that you do, and that's what mine's going to be. Uh, and so that will will arrive with you in the first half of 2017. And just keep an eye on my, my Twitter account. We'll give you all that information at the end anyway. Keep an eye on my Twitter account. And um, that will be going up on the uh, as part of the, the Gentleman's Grindhouse Records Network. Although that's changing, isn't it, Tom? Yes. Well, this is going to be the first anyone's really heard of it, um, including the other shows on the network <laughs> but um, so oh dear yeah awkward um <laughs> but you've uh, all been fired <laughs> no no in in a lot of ways in most ways it, it's going to be the same little small network of you know passionate dedicated little podcasters putting out our shows but as i've said before i think i've said it on this show before but Chapman's Grand House Records was created because Dark Inc. One and I were, it was going to actually be a shop. And we had a certain vinyl record product in mind that we were going to make, you know, get it manufactured. He was going to do the artwork and everything because he's such a talented artist. Um, and it's something we may return to. But it's it's mainly down to me because I barely have time to do a podcast, never mind run a bit a business on the side. The the initial idea was Gentleman's Grand House Records was going to be this record label and we would do free podcasts on the site as well. So it was going to be like a little extra for people who come to the site and you know, that kind of model. So without the records, the name doesn't really make any sense. And uh, yeah. it sounds a bit silly. So that's that's gonna that's gonna change we're gonna change it to something else you know i I won't say exactly what that's going to be just yet because i'll i'll speak to our other podcasters about that and let them know and then then we'll we'll announce it at the end of the day the the form is going to be the same if you subscribe to any of the shows your subscription links are going to be the same so it's it's not going to be a massive change in that way but a name change is coming and you know a new website so quite exciting i think yeah definitely when you say you were going to put out vinyl records Tom, was it just going to be like a vinyl record of 50 minutes of you screaming yes yeah that would have been quite good wouldn't it really get your frustrations out uh no i think it's a very good idea because i remember when we started doing this thinking well gentlemen's grindhouse records it doesn't it does sound like like we own a record label, but we're not putting any records out. So it was, you know, I think what we, it's going to be changed to makes more sense. Yeah. Other than that, there are no changes on, on your end, really, apart from some, from I'm talking, speaking to you, the listener, uh, apart from some branding changes. That's, that's going to be about it. But it will make a bit more sense uh, why we have all these things under a specific umbrella. And we're trying to grow that brand, I think. That's right. And also, at, at the moment, Tom gets a... a a 99 to 1% cut of everything. So I'm uh, I might get 2%, guys. It <laughs> might go to 98 and 2%. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm going up in the world. Yeah, There's no stopping me, Ma. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's going to be happening. Uh, I think 2017 is going to be a good year for us, Tom. I you know, I have a good feeling it will be especially you're listening to the Strange and Deadly Christmas special, so you want to know about Strange and Deadly. Uh, I think it will be especially good for us getting back on the horse again. And I'm hoping that we can get into a a rhythm again and a level of consistency that that makes sense for us. Because we would be closer to finishing it now uh, Mm -hmm. than we are at the moment if we'd actually kept to a a particular schedule, wouldn't we? 
That's right. I can't even remember how many films we've got got left to do on the list because it, it's been a while. But I know we're closer to the end than the beginning. That's all. Yeah. I, that's all I can really remember. Um, but I would imagine if we got a consistent schedule, we would be finished next year, wouldn't we? Yeah. That's going to be the next question. What happens next? And we will have answers for you, but we will we'll keep them under our belt for the moment. For the, under that massive muscly belt that uh, <laughs> Tom Tom Elliott has there, uh, yeah, no, we absolutely will, and we'll, we'll let you know. Uh, we we are talking, we're talking about it. Uh, whatever happens, you know, Tom and I are going to continue podcasting together because we enjoy doing it. You know, it's a it's an it's an odd chemistry that works because we're so different from each other. Mm-hmm. As you can hear, I've been a babbly fool on this one already, uh, and Tom has to. Tom, I like to think of it as you know that annoying midget that keeps trying to bite you, and uh, Tom swatting at me. He hasn't got me yet, but um, he's a strong man, so <laughs> I imagine day, if he does get day. me. I'll, one one day, yeah, that'll be the end of me. I'll be squashed against his his uh, bulging bicep but uh, i'll stop making fun of me now tom but it uh no i won't i won't i'll carry on uh but it yeah it we have plans for things and tom and i are going to continue podcasting together because we enjoy doing it and it gives us a bit of inspiration i think you know even when i do the the asian show it's going to be weird to to do something on my own again and that's why it's going to be so different it's not going to be like this me you know sitting here rambling away and being a bit stupid it's going to be a, a much more presented um show that that's put together uh like a nice sort of tight body of work as it were tight mm. like tom's body there you go i found another one to, good link uh, good link to say but yeah yeah thank you thank you very much tom so that's what's happening in 2017 we are coming back uh but on this christmas special we thought we would just have a little chat really about things that we don't normally talk about because we often we're trying to get on with reviewing the two films the double bill that we mm. do and uh we are you know th- this time around of course this is just a little chat a little gift for you really for the holidays to say thank you very much for supporting us sticking in there staying with us being patient because i know that's not easy it's not easy to wait for something you enjoy to come back and and i suppose for a while really if you, especially if you're not on our social media accounts you're not looking there you you haven't known what's happening tom put out an update show a little while ago where he was able to to give you a bit of information but even that came after quite a while so you're probably wondering what's happening so we wanted to give this to you as a little gift for you that you, um not a regular strange and deadly episode we're not doing the romero films on this one that will happen on the first episode the first strange and deadly episode of of 2017 i've got some topics here and that is uh we're just basically just going to talk about some memories some films that we like uh to do with christmas and maybe talk about some other films of the year and yeah just have a little chat really have a nice chat and we're going to finish the episode off with an interview uh mm. so i think we'll leave the the revelation of what that interview is until we're, we're done with our little chat but let's begin with the first topic here tom i've i've just asked really for christmas memories and traditions mm. uh that we may have had as part of our family growing up have you got any that you can share I'm trying to think. Um, you know, uh, it sounds like a funny one, <laughs> but um, as when I was an adult and I got my first place, um, yeah, the first ever Christmas tree I bought, it was a real Christmas tree. It wasn't a fake one, and uh, we got this tree and put it in the the flat I was living in at the time and everything. And after that year, I sawed the the base of that tree off. The, sort of like a, a stump about you know eight inches of, of stump at the bottom 
and I've kept that stump, you know, and it's like oh. about 17 or 18 years old now. And um, so every year there is the Christmas stump gets brought out and I put a little candle on the top <laughs> and I light the Christmas stump and it's almost like welcoming Christmas in to the house and then I blow it out and it just sits there for the rest of Christmas. But, you know, that's <laughs> that's that's my first adult Christmas tradition of my own. So there you go. That's really, really sweet, Tom. A rotten old piece of wood just like your heart. <laughs> um, no, that's really sweet. That's mm. that's nice, though. That's nice to cherish your memories of when you've, you got your first place and it means something to you. It's symbolic of a memory that's important to you. you yeah. know. Well, that's I think that's right. a nice thing. Well, exactly. And, yeah. you know, if, if the candle ever falls over and sets fire to the stump and, and burns the house down, then now people know why and they can tell the police why it happened and the fire service. So, so everyone, so it's like a bit of an insurance policy, too. Oh, blimey, you've been a bit dark that, didn't you? I mean, Jesus Christ, man. We're, we're all, the rest of us are all sitting here enjoying a nice, heartwarming tan, and you're, going, you're getting dark with it, Tom. So, what about you, mate? What, have you got any traditions? I hope that doesn't happen, by the way. I hope everybody's safe in the uh, in the Elliot household. Uh, traditions. <laughs> I used to dress up as Santa Claus quite a lot for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd, not the full outfit. I just used to have the. I used to have a big white beard and uh, a Christmas hat, mm-hmm. and I used to walk into the front room and be like, "Ho, ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas!" And then I would do something that was incredibly irritating to everybody, where I would hand one present to somebody, whoever was there. Uh, you know, my parents would be there, and my sometimes we'd have a couple of members of family. And I'd be like, and I would hand them one present, and everybody would have watched them open that one present. So it was one present. It took ages for us to get through the pile. Mm. Uh, now that I think about it, probably quite irritating. But I, I just used to enjoy doing that, and I would always, I would always make a, a point of. Uh, of giving people their presents first, and then I would deal with mine afterwards. Mm. So that was always something I did, was because I, yeah, I didn't want to be too selfish, and it was probably because of the fact that when I was younger, especially as a kid, I I wasn't patient enough to wait for my presents on the day. I had to see what was in them then and there. So what I would do is I I had a pen knife, mm. um, which had you know like a, a tiny little pair of scissors on it. And I, mm. <laughs> I would go, I would go to my pile of presents there, underneath the tree, and I would, using the pen off, I would snip open the, the sellotape that was on the presents, and I open, open them up and look at what was inside, <laughs> and then I, and then I would go and find the sellotape and seal them back up again. It was terrible. You sneaky bastard. <laughs> I know, I know. What a, what an arsehole. And um, I still feel the pull of temptation <laughs> even now. I've got a bunch of presents sitting in the corner of the room there, and I'm like. Oh, God, I want to see what I want to see what they are, but I but I can't do it. I can't go back. No. But that was one of my, my one of my big memories, and also the fact that my parents knew I was doing it because I didn't seal them up again very well. Mm. Um, I probably got a little bit better at it earlier on, but I, I always remember that just be just not being very patient. Really, yeah. it's one of my biggest one of my biggest memories. And of course, there's there's the tradition that we have. Unfortunately, it can't happen this year because of illness. But uh, my mother always doing the big Christmas dinner. Uh-huh. And um, and then being the last one to sit at the table, which I think is probably, uh, you know, that's probably not just us, I'm sure. Um, lots of people are like that. But um, being the last one to sit at the table and enjoy it. And there are all these different meats, beef, chicken. I apologise if you're, if you're vegetarian, but beef and chicken. And um, and we were, never a tur- we were never turkey people. No. That's the funny thing. We were never really into turkey. We always found it too dry. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of it myself, to be honest. Are you vegetarian now, Tom, or do you do you still eat meat? Oh no, I eat I eat meat definitely. But um, yeah, turkey I've always found it a bit too dry as well. I can't really pull it off. I'm sure there's some people who know how to do it out there, but I'm not one of them. So uh, yeah. yeah, never never really figured out a way to do it to where it, you know the the meat sort of retains its its moistness. But um, hmm. but yeah, that's that's sort of one of my overriding Christmas memories. Really, was just me being a little jerk. <laughs> a little jerk, a little jerk. Uh, so we move on to the next topic, Tom. Mm, it's it's like a little advent calendar, isn't it? Go on, open that door. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's funny you mentioned that, Tom. That was another thing that I had a problem with was uh, not eating the rest of the advent calendar. <laughs> you're supposed to eat one. You're supposed to eat one chocolate a day. I couldn't be bothered with that, so I used to eat about five or six of them in one go. <laughs> um, there you go. Lack of patience. Lack of patience. Um, now, Tom, mm. what would you say? Uh, just off the top of your head, I suppose, really, are your favourite Christmas movies. Now, this is not... We're going to have a horror one in a second, but this is just Christmas mm. movie in general. It could be any, of, of any specific genre, you know, comedy, action, whatever. I think every year I uh, I make a point of watching... I, I love the Christmas Carol story. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, people bemoan remakes these days there's about a million versions of that and i love watching different versions of it you know seeing how what are they going to bring to this one kind of thing and i I like the patrick stewart one that he did on uh i think it was hbo or something a few years ago i remember yeah Yeah. i'm a a fan of that one I, i do like it you know i know there's older ones and people say oh yes the one in the one in 1902 with, you know, whoever, you know, fine, great. You know, that's a good thing about it. We've all got our favourites. Um, but I also really love A Muppet Christmas Carol. So mm. it's yeah. just such a, a feel-good little thing. And I always make a point of watching that every year as well. So they're probably my favourite too. You know, I'm not... Everyone says A Wonderful Life and everything, and it's great, you know, and if it was on, I'd probably watch it, but I don't really make a point of watching it. But, yeah, they're the ones that stick out for me, really. So how about you? Yeah, well, A Muppet Christmas Carol is wonderful, magical, mm-hmm. really, really magical film. Uh, yeah, for, for me, <laughs> well, the, the wild card entry is always jingle all the way <laughs> with, the, uh, Arnold, the Arnold with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so stupid, isn't it? You know, I mean, it, it, it it's a film that couldn't work in the Amazon Prime era that we're in now because <laughs> you know uh, Arnie would just get on the computer and just order up a a uh, one of the I can't remember what the name of the doll is Turbo Man or something Turbo or... Man that's it yeah yeah I think it was Turbo Man yeah and you could just order one on Amazon it would arrive the next day um, yeah. unless you like me lately <laughs> where my Amazon service has been terrible lately but um it would arrive the next day but it, it it's it's a film that reminds you of a of a stranger time yeah, uh, yeah. in a landscape where people had to rush to the stores to get a doll that isn't really that impressive particularly. <laughs> but um, there's so many great quotes in it and it's a it's a daft movie, but I, I always enjoy it. My favourite Christmas movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, okay. Um, the, the animated film, uh, which... I just love, uh, and it, the funny thing is it works for, for two holidays in the year. It works for Halloween and Christmas. It has a little bit of both, and I love the songs that are in it. Uh, it never gets old for me, really, and it's a quick watch as well. I don't think it, I don't think it's even an hour and a half long. Like It's 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 pretty brisk mm. watch, and there's a lot of heart to it, a lot of charm to it. Um, like I say, great songs, great music. Um, I always enjoy that. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Santa Claus the movie. Do you remember that one with Dudley Moore? Yeah, yeah. It's so shit, isn't it? But I, it, I like it, is, it too. Yeah. It's got a charm to it. Well, exactly. You know, a bit of Christmas cheese. I think you need that. 
yeah and that, oh it's super super duper cheesy but um a lot of fun you know i'm trying to think what else there is i mean there are so many christmas movies you know like you say a muppet christmas carol i really enjoy um i'm trying to i had one of on 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 uh, national lampoon's christmas vacation i really yeah. enjoy um, I have a hard time with it these days because Chevy Chase is such an arsehole. Um, he's really not a nice man at all, and it's quite difficult to to get past your opinions of him, knowing what a what a jerk off he is. But um, but that's a great movie as well. There's so many great ones, but those would be would be my choices. Uh, yeah. So that's a, a regular Christmas movie, something that's feel good. Now we move on to mm. our favourite Christmas horror movies, Tom, mm. and uh, we've covered one of those. On the Strange and Deadly show in the past, it was Christmas Evil. What do you think your favourite one is? I mean, Christmas Evil, I, I think, must have jumped pretty high up yeah. to the top of the list, really. I think it has a rewatchability to it that is... I've, I'm not sure I've really found much with the, with other Christmas movies. I mean, Chris Brown, our old friend Chris Brown, he's got a new podcast out called uh, The Last Horror Podcast, and he's mm-hmm. he's just done an episode on Christmas sort of slashes where he talks about you know um, evil Santa Claus films, and I'll be honest, it's it's not something that I've I've watched many of. I mean, because this is the ob- obvious ones, isn't it? Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is good fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say Christmas Evil on that and, and just leave it there because I can't really remember any. I mean, obviously there's Black Christmas. Which you know, great movie, but I I just don't watch it that often, you know. Yeah, and it's not particularly Christmas themed, is it? Really, it's more no. of a it. It just happens to take place at Christmas. I mean, if we if you're classing that as a Christmas movie, that would certainly be up there for me. Uh, Christmas Evil, I think, I would have to join yeah. you in that. I think it's 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 got that spirit to it, even though there's you know obviously it's quite a dark story and there's some gore in it, particularly towards the end, but. I think that would be it. And I, I do enjoy Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's a daft movie. And um, the remake of it as well is, is... I can't remember what the remake was called. I think it was just called Silent Night. But uh, it's quite fun as well. Hmm. Uh, suitably daft, of course, and, and very cheesy, but fun in its own way. You know, Don't Open Till Christmas. There's Krampus. There's a lot that I haven't seen, to be honest with you, that I, that I want to see. There's yeah. Rare Exports, I know, is a, is a foreign one that a lot of people were talking about a couple of years ago, and I've wanted to see that, just haven't had an opportunity to do it. But I think Christmas Evil, is certainly it was a standout for us when we were covering when we were covering it, and remains, I think, a standout in the Section 3 mm. uh, list that we've gone through. And so I would have to side with that, really. It's, uh, it's stayed with me. You know, I've got the Blu-ray from, from Vinegar Syndrome, and um, I might well watch it around It's a strange movie to watch around Christmas, but I could see myself doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a very, very... If you haven't seen it... Definitely a very good Christmas horror movie. Very different. It's a more of a character study than it is an outright slasher. It gets that way a little bit towards the end. It's a very weird movie, but it it works. There's something about it that works. He's sincere in his love of Christmas. He just yeah. He just uh, it just manifests in very strange ways. That's all. But uh, yeah, it's it's a real favourite that one. So so come on, open another door on the strange and deadly advent calendar. What's next? Eh? <laughs> that was my 
that's my noise of me opening the door. I thought it was accurate. It's good. Uh, we, <laughs> so we're going to move away from Christmas-related stuff. Although, you know, it may, may be included in there. We don't know. Um, I wanted to talk about movies we've enjoyed the most this year. doesn't have to just be horror. It can be anything, really. Any of the big movies. You, you and I, Tom, we make no secret of the fact that we're, <laughs> we're, we're, big, we're big geeks. We're big old geeky boys, and we love our superhero movies and, and TV. We could even include TV show if you want to, but... Specifically, what movies have you enjoyed the most this year? Unfortunately, I'm really shit at this, aren't I? But unfortunately, I, <laughs> yes, I, rarely, yes you are. I rarely ever get to the cinema. I'm a wait for Blu-ray kind of guy. And even then, I'm kind of, you know, just just waiting for the superhero ones. So I guess, you know, Deadpool is an obvious one. That was that was pretty good. Um, yeah. Uh, then there was Captain America... Civil War, that's right. There was Captain America Civil War, which I still don't... I, I wouldn't place, even though, you know, the world and his wife was in it. It was kind of like a, <laughs> Avengers 2.5. I'd still put the Winter Soldier above it in my estimation, but yeah, it, it was good fun, and it's, it's interesting the way Marvel are kind of mixing this thing up and uh, playing with those relationships. It's not just like get the back, you know, get the gang back together because there's a big baddie. They're sort of playing with the dynamics between the characters. And by now, they've got this thing down to a fine art, haven't they? You, you know, getting these movies out. So, so I did enjoy yeah. it a lot. You know, it wasn't quite up there with Winter Soldier for me, but it was, a, you know, a good solid movie. I mean, you've caught that one as well, haven't you? Oh, yeah. You know, me and you are still but still but buddies, aren't we? So we we yeah. always keeping each other abreast of what's going on, and uh, and yeah, I don't tend to get out to the cinema very often myself, mainly because I find the experience so variable uh, with what mm. I'm going to get, and also the fact that you know I've got sort of people to take care of and stuff like that, illnesses and things. So it's it's um it can be quite difficult for me to make that time, but. Um, I don't think I, I even went and saw anything this year. To be honest with you, I, I went and saw was um. Uh, the Force Awakens was obviously was last. It came out last December, didn't it? But that's right. Yeah. I saw I saw it in January, so that's the only film I've seen in the cinema this year. Mm. Is uh, the Force Awakens, and of course, I as you already know, I really enjoyed that. Um, I thought that was very good. I want to go and see Rogue One in January as well, probably when it's quietened down. Mm-hmm. Um, I would look forward to seeing that. But the best stuff I've seen this year, you know, I would say you know Civil War definitely is up there. It's quite a busy movie. Yeah. Which I think is maybe my my problem with it, but they do a better job, I think, of of managing that than than Warner Brothers has done with with their slate of films. I think oh, in, in managing and um, yeah, you, you know you know what it's like, Tom. So uh, I know you feel similarly to the to the way I do, and we'll talk we'll talk about one of those movies in a moment when we get to the movies we've enjoyed the least this year. But definitely, Civil War is up there. I really really enjoyed Deadpool. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like the fact that it wasn't two hours long. Because most of these superhero movies are, and they stretch the runtime to fit as much in as they can, and and it's probably the fact that the Deadpool didn't have a, a huge budget behind it. Really, um, it was made for pennies compared to something like Civil War, but yeah. uh, was an enormous success in any case. And um, and yeah, I thought it was a, a ton of fun, very crude and immature, but that is that's the character. And I would have to say, I've been, I've been I haven't given it a second watch yet, but. I've really been thinking about the new X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse, which was pretty much derided by critics mm. and which I thought was better than than people gave it credit for. I don't think it's anywhere near the best of the series, but I keep I do keep going back to it and thinking there are, there are parts of that that I really enjoyed, parts that I thought really worked and and so I think that's actually one of them. That's one that 
you know, there are certain films that you see them, you think, yeah, that's okay, that that was all right, and but they they stay with you, yeah, and yeah. um and that's one of them where I, I sit and think, oh, I would like to give that another watch because I think that I think it mostly worked. Um, so yeah, X Men Apocalypse. I think at this point, because we have affection for those characters, and unless they really drop the ball, there's still some elements of enjoyment of spending time with them, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and and I'm similar as well because I think the the big weakness in that was the villain, and it's not yeah. not, not Oscar Isaac's fault. I don't think it's just maybe he just wasn't conceived particularly well. He's a bit of a void. It's like, well, what does he really want? You know, what what's he there for? And it's it just seems to be like I'm a villain because I'm a villain, so I'm going to take over the world, you know. And it's just I can't really latch onto that anymore because other films do it so much better now. I agree that it was just good to kind of see those guys again, but you know, going forward, it's going to be interesting. What are Fox going to do with the X Men because they're sort of painting themselves into a corner a bit, and and I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of it. Well, I've got a feeling. I mean, if you, if any of you out there have seen this trailer to Logan, which is the the next and supposedly final Wolverine movie, very different in terms of feel, in terms of tone, the look of it. Uh, I've got a feeling that that will be sort of the end of the mutants as we know them to be, the old guard, if you like. And I, I think from from that point forwards, they're gonna kind of. I mean, they've been talking about doing a soft reboot of that universe rather than replacing a lot of these actors that have worked. I mean, I don't really want to see them replace James McAvoy, for example, and, and, mm. and Fassbender, because I think they're great in those roles. Uh, I found uh, James McAvoy, as I always do, incredibly engaging in Apocalypse. He was one of the things that made it really work for me. Uh, so I don't particularly want to see them reboot the whole thing from scratch. I think a soft reboot where you say, OK, in Logan, it, it appears as if most of the mutants are dead, mm. uh, apart from Logan and, and, a, and a few others. I think that is a great place to sort of say, okay, we leave that part of the history of these characters there and we move forward with the other universe that they've created uh, with Apocalypse going forward. I get the feeling that's what they're going to do. There's also a New Mutants film that's being planned um, that is going to take, again, you know, the younger characters and sort of push them forward into prominence. Uh, I believe there's even a TV series coming based on on the X-Men. So I think that's the way they're going to go. Um you know, I. It's funny. Apocalypse was the film that made me think. Basically, everything we've seen in the first three X Men movies can be disregarded because it's so convoluted, and they've done so many things since then to uh, to trip themselves up. You know, making <laughs> you know, for example, in in X Men Apocalypse, Storm's accent is completely different to the one that she has, and it's the accent she's supposed to have in in actuality. But it's the, she doesn't have the accent in you know the second and third X Men movie. She's got more of an American accent. So it's things like that. You know, there are all these little details that they haven't carried over into the newer films. So it, it's it's very hard for me to see the series as one sort of continuous thing. You know, after X Men First Class, it kind of seems like um. They created a different continuity, really. You know, if you look at, for example, at the character that Jennifer uh, Jennifer Lawrence plays, which is Raven Mystique, um, that is not the same Mystique from no. the first three movies. It's just not. No. You know, in the first in the first X Men, she acts as if she doesn't even know who Charles is. You know, yeah. uh, Charles Xavier, played by Patrick Stewart. So they have sort of painted themselves into a corner a bit. I'm hoping that Logan is the thing that sort of 
it allows them to then stop there. We we get rid of like, it's going to be very emotional and sad. But we get rid of Wolverine and Charles, the older Charles, and we sort of reboot from there. That's what I'm hoping. Hmm. Well, let's see how they get on. It's uh, it's certainly going to be interesting. I, I guess we better stop there because we can go on about this stuff all night, can't we? Yeah, we can. We can. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're incredibly good at rambling about geeky stuff. Well, then let's finish with the final topic, Tom, mm. which is movies we've enjoyed the least this year. And I've got one that immediately springs to mind, but I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, I've got to say the same thing. I, I don't see that much new stuff to be able to say this uh, this was a bad movie so i'm trying to think what i've watched so why don't we just talk about your one because I, I know what it's going to be and, <laughs> and we'll give a few thoughts on that one so go on you go how do you know what it's going to be Tom? <laughs> i've just got a feeling i, I, I can't put my <laughs> finger on it uh would your feeling be be correct if i said it was suicide squad yeah yeah, that's that's um, probably the movie I've enjoyed least this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I really don't like it. I really, really, really don't like it. And I know old Rob Walker is going to be listening to this. He's a, a very good guy, but he was more of a fan of it than we were. And he'll think, oh, those twats, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think you, even you, sort of you tolerated it a bit, a bit more than I did. I found it to be very, very vapid, empty, plasticky, you know, the work of, the work of, of Warner Brothers executives coming in and mandating a film, you know, so to me, it's a film by committee. Mm. It's a film that was designed to sell a soundtrack. The soundtrack in it is so, uh, annoyingly sort of cloying and desperate. Intrusive. Very, very intrusive. I mean, in the first seven minutes, the first 10 minutes, there's about six or seven big, loud, trendy pop songs in it that overtake everything to sell you a soundtrack. Um, I thought at several points the soundtrack w was sort of inappropriate for the scenes they were covering anyway. It just really seemed to me like it was... It was a film that was trying really, really, really hard to have a personality. To tell you, no, 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 these are really quirky characters, guys. They have personality, but I'm not seeing any of that in, in the writing of it. Um, compared to Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, where I, I believe them. I believe them very strongly. I believe that these people have chemistry with each other. You know, yeah. I've, I've told you that after I watched Suicide Squad, I think it might have been the next day, the the teaser trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 came out. And Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, is not even my favourite. You know, I, I like it very much. I think it's very good. But it's not even up there in, in my favourites as, as you know, the top one like it is for a lot of people yeah. uh, of that particular phase of Marvel movies. But I found the, I found the teaser trailer for that film had so much more heart and believability and integrity uh, than anything in this two-hour movie that I watched. I haven't seen the extended cut yet. So, uh, you know, I have to I have to, you know, say that I haven't seen that, which maybe it improves it. Maybe it just makes it 15 minutes longer and I have to endure <laughs> that in a, in a horrible way. But I really didn't. I really thought think it's it's the worst of the uh, the DC Warner Brother movies so far. Well, what's your take on it? You know, it, it's interesting. I, I didn't dislike it as much as you, but I was just really underwhelmed by it. And I'm I'm not that picky when it comes to my superhero movies. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. if, if something generally works, I will go with it. But there was so many barriers getting put up throughout it. And obviously, the first one you mentioned is the soundtrack. Very intrusive. And yep. 
you know, when a film can use a well-known song, like in it, they played, uh, you know, Black Sabbath's Paranoid in it. Oh, was yeah. it Paranoid? Yeah, I think it uh, was. Well, it might have been. Yeah, yeah, it might have been. Uh, you know, love the song, but, and I'm sure if a movie puts it in the right place, because that's a great thing when a movie can take a, a well-loved song and use it in the right place where you just go, yes, come on, you know? That's that's a, a really cool thing, but they just used it all wrong. And it, it just seemed that so much was a reaction to Guardian of the Galaxy where the soundtrack really was a big deal because it fits so well. And it's all these it these old songs, some of them more obscure than others, but the way they use them kind of brought them back. You know, that, that one that Star-Lord sings at the end when he's doing the dance. Uh, yeah. I can't even remember what it's called. I I don't recall ever hearing that song in my life, but when it comes up, it's just like so cool, you know. But yeah, but uh, Suicide Squad just couldn't get it. That there was also, and I know this wasn't an issue for you, but it just felt a bit jarring with the character of Enchantress being in that universe. But I think it's sort of. Maybe this is the way the DCU is going, the DC mm-hmm. cinema universe is going, where they are a bit more comic booky. But I mean, it started mm. out so, you know, what if Superman was in the real world with Man of Steel? I, I felt. But it, they might be making the decision to go a bit more comic booky, whereas Marvel in the beginning was very science, you know, science, science, science. Our, our universe comes from science, and they were a bit like, you know, oh, what are we going to do with Thor? I remember an interview where John Favreau was, was like, you know, I really don't know how we're going to get Thor into this because it, yeah. it's just a, a different thing, and they managed it. Whereas I think DC are going a bit more comic booky, where things like magic exists and and that kind of thing, which is fine, you know. But it's just the acclimatization to it was a bit off for me. But yeah, you know, without turning this into a huge thing about Suicide Squad, it it <laughs> yeah. was it was just very underwhelming. There was something there though that I, I think if they just done this a bit better, I I, I think this could have been good and. I, you know, I am going on a bit, but I, I think it needed to be a bit more street level because th- this yeah. this is a black ops kind of they're going to do the dirty work that no one else in the DCU is going to do. So I, I think it did need to be more street level than fighting a big mystical enchantress where, you know, that's not a job for the Suicide Squad. The Suicide no. Squad should be going in and cutting throats and breaking necks and, you know, infiltrating things. This wasn't their mission, you know, and that's that's maybe my my biggest gripe with it. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that it bothers me that you know there's a scene in a movie where we're not going to go too long on this because we've turned this into the superhero, <laughs> now, but, um, but it is the, the sort of stuff we watch these days, guys. Um, in there's an early scene where Viola Davis is there and she says that we can't let the superhero, we can't let the Superman thing happen again. Hmm. Uh, but what? <laughs> what are these pe- th- this group of people going to do about Superman? None of them would stand a chance against Superman. None no. of them. Even even Deadshot wouldn't stand a chance against Superman. He would fire a bullet at Superman and Superman would catch it. Yeah. Unless you had a bit of kryptonite um, in your armoury, you're not going to do anything against Superman. And what is Harley Quinn going to do with a baseball bat? 
Mm. Not a lot. Not a lot. You know, in in the comic books, the Suicide Squad typically deal with terrorists, and that makes more sense yeah. than you know. And I didn't like the Enchantress character at all. I didn't have a, a, a the problem like you were saying that you had with feeling like it doesn't quite fit in that world because I think if you look at Marvel now, you've got Doctor Strange where there's magic and mysticism there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can work. You know, even if you look at Luke Cage. Luke Cage is just a man with a, a, a ostensibly wearing armor that happens to be his own skin you know um so i i, I don't think it it's a case of it not fitting because if you look at wonder woman there are sort of they're almost kind of supernatural aspects to her if you want to get down into it so i don't mind that but uh i just didn't like the character i thought the character was done really badly i think cara what's her face um cannot act to save her life which doesn't help hmm. uh, massive bushy eyebrows as well tom i'm not a fan of those um it just didn't it just didn't come together for me, Suicide Squad. And I didn't particularly get on with Jared Leto's Joker, and not even in a hateful way. I just thought, it's not doing anything for me. It just didn't... You know, it's the first time, really, that I've seen a Joker performance where I haven't sort of swung one way or the other, where I've just gone, eh, it just sort of washed over me. I don't... Th- what we know is that David Ayer's original plan was it was going to be a much darker movie, and the studio made him reshoot it mm-hmm. and, um, and lighten it up a bit. Um, no... I just it didn't really work for me. Very vapid piece of supposed entertainment, and um, I'm only really hanging on to it because of the steel book because it's a lovely steel book. Oh yeah, gorgeous. It really, looks really nice. nice. Yeah, looks nice in the set, but unfortunately, we're getting a kind of, you know, I've got all my steel books there, the Marvel ones just going from strength to strength, and the DC ones is, is just a bit like. <laughs> Well, at least the boxes are nice. But <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, what can we do except pin our hopes on Wonder Woman and yeah. Justice League? And I'm confident that Ben Affleck can make a great Batman movie. Whether mm. anybody will care at that point, based on the quality of the two films that are going to come before it, you know, Warner doing Gotham City Sirens and stuff like that. It's like get your get your Trinity right first. That's right, man. Get your house in order before doing stuff like that. Yeah, and then worry about doing all these little spin-offs. Uh, uh, terrible. Fuck them. Fuck them. Yeah. So that is the uh, <laughs> that's the end of our topics, guys. We've gone a little bit longer than we intended to. Yeah, I'm sure some people who don't give a shit about superhero movies are going to be like, oh, God, why did they do it? <laughs> well, we've been better off not hearing from you at all. Uh, but that's going to be the end of our topics. Uh, thank you very much, guys, once again for your support, mm-hmm. for uh, believing in us, for waiting for us while we get through some of life's little problems. Um, I can't pretend that that there might not be more problems next year, but I'm very confident that we can at least get back into this and do our best to try and get this Section 3 list finished and see where we go from there. But we we didn't want to just have this discussion and then leave you there. We wanted to give you something a little extra special, uh, something that gives you... So, you know, you've got this on, on Chris, during the Christmas week, um, if you're perhaps a bit fed up of your family, and I wouldn't blame you at all, guys. Like, get, get yourself in a room, a nice, quiet room, settle down with a pair of earbuds in or earphones, and uh, listen to this Christmas special. And after all of this chat, all of this nonsense about superheroes, perhaps you want to hear something that's related to horror movies once again. Well, we've got that for you with a special interview, which you, Tom, are going to tell them about right now. You know, I've got a hard drive full of interviews that I've done in the past, but... I w- oh, cock more like. What? Last, last time we, uh, I played one from Ian McCulloch, connected to the Section 3 list, and this time I'm going to play, we're going to play one from someone who's sort of tangentially connected to the Section 3 list. Now, we did discuss Friday the 13th 1 and 2, but it's not anyone connected to those, but it's someone connected to 
that film series down the line. And it is, of course, maybe the definitive Jason, Kane Hodder. Mm -hmm. So we're going to play for you a little interview with, uh, that I did with, with Kane Hodder a few years ago. There he is, the man himself, Kane Hodder. The man you always see when he turns up at conventions, he's always holding somebody by the neck. And yeah. uh, appa- apparently, I haven't met him, but apparently I- I- I've heard that he will ask you a... I actually heard this on a podcast I listened to, the, the Parapod, which has become my favourite podcast. And um, the uh, one of the guys on there, Barry Dodds, who's a comedian, he was saying that he met Kane Hodder. And, and uh, Kane asks him a question. Do you want the Jason picture? Or do you want just a nice friendly picture with me? Or do you want the Jason picture? And of course, you know, Barry said, oh, the Jason picture, not knowing what it was. And if you ask for a normal picture, of course, he'll just sort of stand next to you and smile or whatever. Maybe he'll put your arm around it. Maybe he'll put his arm around you. But if you ask him for the Jason picture, he'll actually properly put his hand around <laughs> your neck and lift you up off the floor if he can. <laughs> and uh, apparently he was like, you know, Barry felt that he was going to be choked to death. So, um, an interesting man, Kane Hodder. I've always been a little bit, I've always been a little bit afraid of him, and yeah. um, I, I wouldn't have liked to have been the person who said, "Yeah, Kane, um, about Friday, the, about Friday, uh, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, we're, we're not going to put you in that. We're going to get somebody else because you'd have been, you know, your teeth knocked out, surely." And I think that was a mistake because I, I happen to think he is the best Jason. I thought he gave emotion to Jason. Mm. Just with movements and and expressions and and you know an expressive nature to the way he moved that that nobody else really did before. And I feel like he and and Derek Mears in particular, they're the two that really seem to have respected the role and were fans of it. And um, I think it was always a shame that they um, that you know he he no longer gets to play Jason. Having said that, Tom, he uh, this obviously this won't be an inter- interview because it was done a few years ago. But there's a Friday the Thirteenth game coming soon. Um, mm. which is a multiplayer game where basically you know, a bunch of people get to play as survivors and one person in the in the um, in the game gets to play as Jason and they've got the accuracy of the game is actually pretty fantastic they've got a bunch of the different Jasons from different movies so you can get to choose which one you want wow. and they've got the locations the music is there you know Harry Manfredini did the music for this one again and uh, Kane Hodder did the um, did the motion capture for Jason, so Brilliant. in effect, he sort of played played Jason again. So, um, so yeah, but uh, we'll see you uh, in early 2017, hopefully next month of 2017, to continue the section three list uh, related to the video nasties here on the Strange and Deadly Show. Do enjoy this interview with Kane Hodder, and um, once again, thank you very much for your support. Hope you enjoyed this little Christmas chat that we've had. And, uh, we will speak to you soon. Bye from me, uh, Mr. Christopher Clayton. You can find me on twitter.com forward slash the Chris Clayton and at Instagram forward slash the Chris Clayton. And where can they find you, Tom? Uh, Grindhouse Tom on Twitter, but I, I don't really tweet anymore, or Grindhouse Tom on Instagram. And a Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next year. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye for now. Obviously, Kane, I haven't read the book yet, but by all accounts, you you don't pull any punches in this book about things that have happened to you as a child and obviously the burn incidents and, and so on. Now, you know, you could have just written this book about making the movies and so on. What made you decide that you were really going to tell everything with this? Well, you know, I have read 
biographies in past and particularly of actors or, you know, people with careers in entertainment. And I, it always bothered me that if I was a fan of the person, I didn't mm-hmm. learn anything new from their book. Yeah. I, I already knew all of their information, uh, you know, their their resume, everything they've done. So it, it always bothered me that it never seemed to have, most of them don't have much heart. And uh-huh. that's, that's exactly the, the way I would put it. They, it would be a resume of work with no heart and no personal things. And, and there's so much, you know, stuff that I've gone through in my life and then, and I think could help people that could be going through similar things that I mm-hmm. just want to talk about it. And, you know, especially the, the bullying and the, the burn injury, of course, because that's such a, a traumatic experience for someone to go through that I know from my experience that the best thing that happened to me was to be able to see somebody who had been through it while I was going through it, somebody that had already been through it and still looking happy and living a normal life. I just decided if I'm going to write a book about my life, I'm going to talk about everything, good and bad. Yeah. Was it was it quite cathartic to get some of these things out? Uh, somewhat, yes. It it actually was because of uh, some of the you know OCD type issues that have resulted from the burn injury. Uh, uh-huh. It kind of felt good to talk about it and get it out in the open, you know, because uh, mostly just family and stuff knew about those things, and mm-hmm. and talking about the bullying thing was was uh, very cathartic because there has been such rage for so long from those incidents that I guess that's what I attribute my success in being an enraged character. Right, <laughs> it, I see. It's easy for me to pull up old memories and think of those people and then, you know, rip somebody's fucking head off. <laughs> okay, good. So I, I, I read that it was actually Adam Green who convinced you to write this. Is that true? Well, he, yeah, he, he had a big uh, part in it. He always thought that there, it was a good story just from what he knew. Uh-huh. And uh, he was always suggesting it. And I always thought, well, yeah, it would be good. But, you know, I just, I'm not a writer myself. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'd have to have somebody that I really, you know, hit it off with to write my book. And that's where Mike comes in. And uh, he just kind of out of the blue suggested it via email that he was, you know, really thought it would be a great idea. And at that time, Adam had been pushing me and I was also thinking it would be a good idea. And so it all just came together that way. I guess you know that Adam wrote the foreword for the book, right? Oh, I I did not know that. No. Yeah. He, I, I sent him like the first draft of the manuscript because I asked him if he would write a forward, and he did, and it's it's really, really amazing. He he said, you know, a couple times, and this is a guy that, you know, writes and directs horror movies. Mm-hmm. He said a couple times in reading the manuscript, he actually had to put it down for a while because it was so intense 
regarding oh, wow. the, the burn injury in particular. Well, one one of the things, Kane, that I'm really looking forward to reading about is your your early career as a stuntman, because I, I had a bit of a fixation with that myself when I was a kid, but unfortunately I never went that way, but you you <laughs> did, and you, you know... Um, you know, I'm interested to know, you know, sometimes when you get faced with a risky situation and in your case, it might be like, you know, performing a big stunt, you get that adrenaline dump, which can sometimes just paralyze you, you know, and, you know, I know you're a fear, fearless guy now, but was that much of a battle learning to overcome that fear? Well, you know, I don't really think so in my case. It, uh, I think it was more like, and you 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 will you know, read about it early on in, in my childhood and especially in high school, mm -hmm. I used to do crazy shit just to entertain my friend. And just, I loved the thrill of it doing, you know, dangerous things and just to get my friend's reaction. And then when I realized that, you know, there's a profession where people get paid for doing exactly that, that's mm -hmm. when I thought, well, wait a minute here. Now, if I really enjoy doing this, which I do, why don't I look into it professionally? And and that's what, what ended up happening. Because I, I did some crazy things in high school, especially. And, you know, one being hanging off the balcony of a hotel in Hawaii. Uh, it, the whole story is related in the book. But uh, my basketball team, I grew up in the South Pacific. My basketball mm -hmm. team in high school went to Hawaii to play some other high schools, and we went up to the 35th floor of a hotel, and I was hanging off the balcony oh, man. on the outside of the balcony just to try and scare my friends, which worked incredibly well. They all ran away. watched <laughs> me fall. And just things like that, you know, I, I just always loved it. And yeah. I thought, you know, might as well try this. I guess if you grew up today, you'd have probably ended up on Jackass or something. I know, exactly. <laughs> I thought I would have. I, I would have had, had my own show called, you know, Asshole or something. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Friday the 13th must play a big part in the book, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I go, I go like through the very beginnings of how I got the the role and how much I loved playing the character and always, yeah. you know, considered myself to be incredibly lucky to be in that position to play the character mm -hmm. and always felt it was an honor. And I, I think maybe some of the other guys that played the character before and even after me, I'm not sure if they really considered it such an honor as I did, which is not bad. It's just a, a difference of opinion. But course, I just, I just, I always loved the character before I started playing it, and I was like, "Wow, wait a minute! Now I'm actually the guy. That's incredibly lucky and and a big honor." So, yeah, absolutely. Well, the the book Crystal Lake Memories is is pretty exhaustive when it comes to making those films. Can we expect a lot of new stuff in your book that nobody knows yet? You can expect uh, a lot of new things in my book. Some, you know, some that I was afraid to talk about before in just interviews. And like you say, Crystal Lake Memories is a fantastic book. But there mm -hmm. are so many things in my book that my own family didn't even know. Oh, wow. Let, let alone, you know, fans and coworkers. So 
Uh, yeah, that's that's part of the reason I wanted to write the the book is to just tell all these crazy stories and things that happened and and that I've never talked about. Well, I, I hope we don't, you know, take too much from from what's going to be in the book with what we talk about now. But I'm interested to know. I, you know, I spoke to Doug Bradley a few months back, and he told me that you know, 80% or more of Pinhead, uh, his performance as Pinhead was decided on the spot when he put the makeup on for the first time. Would you say that was the same with you, with Jason? I would say absolutely the same. And I would almost think that almost a higher percentage. I never went into a scene with any preconceived ideas. Uh I just did what felt natural to me as the character and it always, without fail, ended up looking better. Because yeah. certainly when you, I guess the term would be ad lib, when you do that, there's no way it can look rehearsed. So you're already uh-huh. gaining a, a, a big part of your performance there because it will not look rehearsed. It'll look spontaneous, which is what I like. And it'll look natural. And that's the thing that, people have always said to me about me playing the character is that my performance looked natural. It didn't look like I was acting. And Mm -hmm. I think that is in big part because of the spontaneity of just doing whatever felt right at the time. And I wouldn't say that it was right a hundred percent of the time that I was right in doing it that way. But I'd say the large majority of the time I was, I liked the performance better when I did it like that. Well, I, I think, you know, I mean, your years on Friday the 13th are quite, it's quite an interesting period because if you look at the films that came before, they, they all follow the same formula, whereas your films, each one is very different. And, you know, you take Jason to places that nobody else took him. I mean, would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely something different every time that I did it. And, of course, that has nothing to do with me. It was just the the writing and the directing. <clears throat> but and, and to me, I wanted the character to be consistent in the, mm-hmm. in the performance of the character, to be consistent regardless of the location. So even yeah. if Jason was in space, I wanted people to still recognize the same movements and the same breathing things and everything from the previous movie if I had done it. And I just wanted Jason to to still look the same no matter where he was. Mm -hmm. Or still appear the same, even though the look would change. You know, the movements and stuff to look the same. I mean, my my personal favorite is part seven. And, you know... That's mine is as well. And I'm not just talking about Friday the 13th. I'm talking out of any movie. It's got my, you know, some of my favorite stunts of all time in it. Now... Would you say there's a better showcase for you as a stuntman than Friday the 13th Part 7? Oh, absolutely, because, and and fortunately for me, that script had been written with so many stunts that Mm -hmm. they knew when they were thinking about casting for the role of Jason, they realized, wait a minute, now it's really stupid to, to hire an actor to do some of the stuff and a stuntman to do a big portion of it because of all the stunts. So they already knew they wanted to hire a stuntman instead of uh, an actor. So that helped me a little bit. 
And then, you know, John Beekler being the director, and I had worked with him the previous year in a big makeup, and he liked what I did. So he was pushing from from day one, trying to get them to to agree to hire me as the character because he, he could push the stunt background and also the fact that I had worked in a creature makeup. So... Uh, it was mainly because uh, I, I like to think it's because of my performance in that one that I kept the part for a long time, but yeah. um, basically because of Beekler. And I love that movie, as you said, because there were so many different stunts for me to do uh-huh. that it was kind of a uh, almost like a, a resume in itself, you know. Yeah crashing through windows, doors, being on fire, having the roof come down on my head, all that stuff. It was quite a challenge to do all those stunts in that makeup with basically only one eye that I could see out of. And that had the yellow lens on it, so that wasn't very good either. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I adored it. And I, I don't think Jason's ever looked better, to be honest. That's You know, it's the most iconic Jason as well, I think. I think so, too. The, the whole body and the... Just the, the the mask was great. The facial expressions and everything were really good. Jason goes to hell. That's that's one that you know kind of splits the fans quite a bit. And I know you didn't like the end to Jason Takes Manhattan, but you know you felt you weren't long enough in the role to really voice your objections too loudly. But um, yeah. When when you read Jason Goes to Hell, did you did you raise the concern then that you know maybe this isn't such a good idea to leave Jason out of it so much? I did. I, I certainly did. I said, well, you know, I'm not too crazy about Jason not being in the movie that much. I think the fans are not going to be real happy. But you know, it it was beyond my control, and I still uh-huh. wish Jason had been in it more. But and and getting back to the end of part A too, I'm I'm not sure why so much was made of the fact that that people think that I hated the end of part eight. I never hated it. I just didn't right, quite right. understand it. And uh-huh. somehow it got out in the press that I hated it and it kinda it kinda bothers me that that people uh have that opinion because some it really wasn't that way. I I didn't think it was a fantastic ending, but I, I basically didn't understand it, and somehow that got misconstrued into me disliking it. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Well, you set the record straight now, so <laughs> yeah. let's hope that gets out. Well, yeah. I mean, Jason goes to hell. There was some interesting stuff in there. I think. I I, I do think it's an interesting curiosity. There's. You know, things like having a bounty hunter come in to tackle right. Jason and so on. You know, I only wish you were around to kind of face him more. I think that would have been a good story in itself. Yes, I think so, too. I just, a little more of Jason would have been better, I think. That's all. Uh, moving on to Jason X, you know, um, I, I know that Todd Farmer, who wrote the movie, is a little critical of it, saying the tone of it doesn't fit what he intended it to be, but you've always been quite positive about it. And, you know, in your eyes, was the Jason X that ended up on screen the one that you read? Yeah, for me, it was. I mean, maybe I don't get, you know, the early scripts, and maybe that's what he's talking about. But Uh uh, for the most part, yeah, from the script that I was given, it's pretty much the same movie. 
you know, I, I I always had a little hesitation when they first told me Jason was going to space. I oh boy, oh boy, really? And, you know, but you know, it was such a a higher quality production value film that yeah. I think it worked out fine. I mean, I don't think anybody can dispute that of the ones that I did, that certainly had the best production quality. I think we we already um, spoke about how you know consistency with the character was really important to you. You know, you you starred in all these different kinds of Jason movies, but you you wanted to keep Jason consistent. And and there's a line that really that's kind of become famous from you now. That's and it's Jason wouldn't do that. Can can you recall? <laughs> <laughs> I think someone should put on a T-shirt. But can you recall anything in particular that? Um, particularly outlandish maybe that that you kind of said no you know jason wouldn't do that well i mean there has been one particular incident that's been talked about quite a bit in the past it was blown a little bit out of proportion but it certainly is a case where i said that Mm -hmm. was in uh jason takes manhattan um in the script there was a scene where uh jason is going after the gangbangers yeah yeah and and the girl, the heroine, the female uh, lead, her her dog comes to face Jason, and Jason kicks the dog. Uh-huh. And I just felt, you know, I'm not a you know super animal rights guy or anything, but I just felt that the character I don't think would purposely kill an animal because if anything he would more identify with an animal I think mm-hmm. my feeling was you know uh, just exactly that I told the director I said I don't think Jason would do that I don't <laughs> think he'd kick a dog yeah. he'd take you know pull rip somebody's head off and shit down their neck but he wouldn't hurt a dog <laughs> and and you know that and and also you know several cases and I wouldn't say it so dramatically like Jason wouldn't do that, but uh-huh. in cases in some of the movies, there'd be a scene where it was written that Jason runs after somebody. Uh-huh. And I always felt that by the time I started playing Jason, he was more of a zombie mm-hmm. so that I never pictured him running. Yeah. I didn't really feel he was a human so much anymore because so much has been done and he won't die. It's kind of a living dead type thing. And I don't think he would run. I don't see that to me, running looks somewhat desperate. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted as ludicrous as it was, I always wanted the feeling that while you're watching the movie and the the victims run, I wanted people to feel you can fucking run, but you're not going to get away. So what's Mm -hmm. the point? You know, he's still going to get you. And I, I always like to have that that underlying feeling that it doesn't matter what they do, they're not going to get away. Yeah. yeah. And I, there's no there's no rush. I'm going to catch them. And people always say, you know, how do you catch them when they run and you walk? And I said, well, that's, first of all, it's my woods, and I know all the shortcuts. Uh huh. And they always, you know, the women always fall down. <laughs> and. And the men always stop and rest when they think it's safe. So either way, I'm going to catch their ass. I'm not going to go into the whole Freddy versus Jason thing. I think, you know, you've spoke about that. And I'm sure that'll be in the book as well, right? Yeah, I will. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, obviously I was severely disappointed when I was unceremoniously taken out of the role for no apparent reason. And still mm-hmm. to this day, no reasonable explanation has been given to me why I was replaced. At least give me something that makes me think, well, I don't agree, but I can see your point. Yeah. I haven't even gotten that, you know? Well, it, it seems that no one really wants to take um, responsibility for it because if you're looking Crystal Lake memories, that chapter in particular, everyone, no one really says, yeah, it was me. I was the one who said, let's, let's not use Kane. Everyone kind of says it was someone else. No one wants to take that responsibility, it seems. <laughs> I think that's true. I mean, I, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. once they realized that the fans weren't too happy about it, which is very, that's quite an honor for me to think that the fans were upset when I was replaced, which, you know, very, very nice to, to feel that way. You know, then they thought, well, shoot, I guess maybe we didn't make the right move. Yeah. And so now nobody wants to take responsibility, and that's exactly the same way I feel. It's always, well, no, it wasn't me, but, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if, if we look at, you know, guys like yourself and Doug Bradley, who you know, created a part over years and so on. I mean, the way the business works, you don't necessarily get to go into a movie knowing that it's the last time you're going to play that character. Like, you didn't go into Jason X thinking it was your last, uh, you know, time you were going to play Jason. Is is there a need within you still to kind of have closure with that character? Or have you, have you moved past it now? Well, I mean, I, I would say there's a little of both. I have <laughs> moved past it. Uh, and, you know, in playing the Victor Crowley character, at least I was able to originate that, and mm-hmm. and we have more to do in that respect. Uh, so, yeah, on one side I have moved past it, but uh, on the other hand, I'll always, always wish I could put the mask on one more time. Yeah. And at least then know, like you said, even if it, it, it if I felt it was going to be my last time, at least I'd go into it knowing that, mm-hmm. and you know, realize, hey, this is my last hurrah. But like you said, with Jason X, I had no idea that this that would be my last time. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when you know when the Freddy versus Jason thing came up. I had a meeting at New Line with the executives, and they gave me the script. Yeah. Wow. And they said, here we go, we're finally doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was more shocking to me that I was replaced because I was given the script and told that I was doing it. Yeah. And then the director was hired and everything changed. But, you know, so people always think, well, why is he so shocked? Come on. Uh-huh. Well, that's why, because if I was never given the script, okay, that's not so shocking then. It's yeah. still bad, but it was so much more of a surprise when I thought I had already been given the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that's that's where most of the the shock stems from. And then after that, obviously Derek Mears got the part, and I know he's a good friend of yours. Um, mm-hmm. Did did you guys ever sit down beforehand and you know talk it out and you know you give him a bit of advice that kind of thing? I didn't really know him before he played the character. Oh, I see. Uh, we've become we've become friends since mm-hmm. because he 
comes from a slightly different side of the business. He is, I, I, I come from a stuntman that went into acting afterwards. Mm-hmm. He comes from an acting standpoint that started doing stunts afterwards. I see. So basically we have, you know, the same abilities, but we came from different sides. So we really never crossed paths that much. You know, I, I don't know how accommodating I would have been knowing I wasn't playing the character anyway, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it just, it just seems like if you're going to play a character, put your own spin on it like I did. Sure. You know, I, I incorporated, you know, little things that I liked from past performances, but then I did my own deal. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much what you should do if you're, you know, taking over an existing role. Well, I'd like to talk about some of the things you've done since, Jason, if that's okay, Kane. Um, yeah, sure. Now, there's one... I'll be honest, when I heard you were going to play Ed Gein, I think purely because of the size difference, I kind of thought, well, hold on, is that really right for Kane Hodder? But then when I watched the movie, I, I thought, you know, you really disappeared into that role, and I, I thought it was excellent. I mean... Did you have any reservations going in whether you were the right fit for that yourself? Well, you know, actually I did. I, I, I got a call from Mike Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. the writer and director of the movie, and he said, look, I'm doing an Ed Gein movie and I'd like you to be in it. I said, fantastic. And, you know, that's great. I'd love to. Because yeah. I liked, you know, what he had done in the past. And, and I said, what character do you want me to play? What kind of character? And he said, I want you to play Ed. And I was like, what? The same, I probably had the same reaction you did, mm-hmm. where I, one of my hobbies is reading true crime. Yeah. And of course, I had read about Ed Gein years and years ago, so I knew the whole story, and when he said he wanted me to play Ed, I, the first thing I thought was, wow, I am nowhere near anything like physically what Ed was like. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeded to tell me that it was going to be a story based on Ed Gein and they were taking some liberties and stuff. And then, and just the fact that it would be a, a lead role with much more dialogue than I had had in the mm-hmm. past, I was very open to it. But, but I can't understand when people, their first reaction is Kane Hodder is Ed Gein. What? That's crazy. But then also, then I start to think, well, let's see, wait, the original James West in the wild, wild west was a short white man. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, he was a tall black man. So <laughs> I think that's even more <laughs> of a change. <laughs> and if people can accept that, I mean, why can't they accept me as Ed Gein? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think it was the performance, you know, that, uh, that really sold it. I, you know, I think it, after a few minutes, I forgot I was watching Kane Hodder. I, you know, I was watching Ed Gein. So, you know, I think that was the, the, the key to the success of it. Well, great. I, I mean, I appreciate that. I'm, that's very nice to hear. And that's what I was hoping to accomplish is just kind of making... And a lot of times, if you're not necessarily standing next to someone, uh-huh. you kind of forget about the size difference a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least the height difference, you know. Yeah. Maybe I was still thicker than Ed Gein was, of course, but you know, it's just like uh, I'm trying to think of another example, but 
there have been other movies in the in the past that I've seen a a much larger actor portray a role, and if he's not standing next to somebody, you kind of forget about it. Yeah. And hopefully, like you said, with if the performance is decent, then you're not thinking about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, that was an interesting role because, you know, everybody that knows about Ed Gein knew that everyone thought he was creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, something weird, something off about that guy. So I just, even in the average scene, I tried to make Ed just kind of, God damn, every time you see him, he's a little weird, Yeah. even yeah. though he's not doing anything weird. You know, just by the way he looks at people or something like that. So that's what I tried to do. And and then when I, I guess maybe you're going to talk about this too, but when I did the BTK movie, mm. also for Mike Pfeiffer, then that was, at least I was more of a a physical match to that Dennis Rader. Yeah. But then all of a sudden now I was playing a major character that is likable for half of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Great. Because, you know, you here you got this murderous rage that you have to convey, but then on in other scenes you have to be actually likable and friendly, and that for for an actor, I think that's a great part. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I um, you know, I once spoke to uh, William Forsyth after he played Gacy, and. You know, he said right. he he really had to cleanse himself after after playing those roles. Somehow, I don't imagine that you have the same problem. But um, <laughs> he, he said what he has to what he he felt that he had to kind of cleanse himself of Gacy afterwards. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably because in real life he is further away from those kind kind of characters than I am. So yeah. I've always said that. My personality is probably closer to a character like that than most actors, so it's not a it's not a very long trip for me to get to the terrible places and not not a long trip back to my normal thing, so I guess I don't feel as uh <laughs> as, <laughs> as uncomfortable as most people would yeah yeah but did did you ever you know i mean because these are based on true events did you ever take a moment for yourself to think well you know should i really be doing this uh no no <laughs> you know it's 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 an acting job and if i pull it off well enough to make people feel really uncomfortable and really creeped out then i've done my job yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm recreating something that really happened. So I can say that, you know, when you do a scene, a murderous scene as a character like Jason, it's one thing because it's fiction. Mm-hmm. But when you recreate a scene that is fairly accurate to so- something that someone has actually done, it is a little strange. Yeah. Uh, it's different. It's a little bit strange, but you know, I guess not much makes me feel uncomfortable. So I just yeah. go with it, but it is a little different. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that there are any lines that you wouldn't cross in a movie? Uh, wow. Interesting question. Uh, I'm trying to be honest with myself and, uh, there probably aren't. Cool. There's probably nothing. <laughs> 
I wouldn't do in a movie if I thought it was uh, important to this, to tell the story and to mm-hmm. make it, you know, effective. There's probably not much I wouldn't do. No. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'd rather, I'd still rather not kick an animal, but, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do to a human. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, we've got to talk about Hatchet because, uh, you know, it, it, it's a big deal at the moment. I know. And I, I love the movies. I think one of the, you know, one of the triumphs of, of Victor Crowley again is that you don't look at him and think, Oh, it, you know, it's the guy who played Jason. he, he has his own mannerisms, you know, he's quicker, he's more manic. How did you yeah. how did you decide what would go into that performance? Well, that was really a combination of my ideas and Adam Green's vision. Because mm-hmm. he's had the character in his mind since he was eight years old. Yeah. So I couldn't presume to come in and completely develop the character on my own when this has been something that someone has envisioned for most of their life Mm -hmm. you know i'm not i i have to be sensible about it i i'd like i have some good ideas but certainly i have to listen to the person who created it so the combination of our ideas is pretty much what we came up with and it's interesting that you bring up the fact that you know people could say, oh, God, it's a Jason guy, and see Jason in the character. Mm-hmm. Because Adam wrote the foreword for my book. Yeah. And in in his foreword, he mentions that a, a lot of the you know producers and stuff that he was working with when he started casting the movie were concerned about casting me as Victor. Oh. For that exact reason, they thought, well, I hope he doesn't do stuff like that makes people think of Jason and, and, you know, there was some hesitation on all fronts, except for Adam. Mm-hmm. He knew or he felt that, yes, he's known as Jason, that's fine, but he's a good enough actor to make a character different yeah. and to make it not reminiscent of Jason at all. And I think that is what we came up with. So he kind of fought a little bit of an uphill battle uh, in convincing the people that I was the right guy to play the character. Mm-hmm. Because they also thought, well, maybe we should get a young guy that's really hungry. Uh, we should cast a young guy that's really hungry and really enthusiastic to play a part like this. And Adam's response was, I am casting that person. Which oh, is very nice to hear. Yeah, yeah. Because he knew how much I love playing characters like this. And just because i am uh, been around for a while doesn't mean I'm going to be jaded and walk through the motions. Uh-huh. So uh, I think he, he and I proved that I was the right choice after all. And I don't see, when I watch the movie myself, and I'm pretty critical, mm-hmm. I don't re- really see anything in Victor that I did as Jason. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you, did you tweak the performance at all for the second movie? Did, did Victor, I don't know, develop in any way? Did you try any new things? Uh, I did. I, I try in the second one. I personally wanted to make him a little bit less twitchy. Yeah. Yeah. 
in the first one, he was very more, even more manic. And I thought as the story developed, especially since the second movie picks up from the last frame of the first movie, I thought I'd like to see how he kind of settles in to his murderous ways. At the beginning, he was very, very, you know, um, twitchy and, and unpredictable. And I still wanted to feel that, but as, as he killed more and more, I wanted the audience to get a sense of, Oh my God, he's actually getting more comfortable with this shit. Yeah. And that makes it even more scary. Yeah. He, you know, at the beginning, like when I came out of the, the cabin the first time and killed the man and the woman where I ripped her jaw apart and everything, he was so scattered. Victor was so all over the place that I wanted, if people could pick up on it, if the audience could, I wanted uh, a, a progression of slowly getting more comfortable with all of the killing. And to me, that's much more terrifying as a, as a viewer because at the beginning I was like, oh, God, he doesn't know what to do. He's just killing out of uh, reflex. Yeah. But as he does it more, it's almost like he started enjoying it so that, to me, that's just a lot more scary. Yeah, yeah. I think you can definitely see that, absolutely. I um, I actually met you at the at the premiere in, uh, in Leicester Square. And, uh, oh, Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's okay. I don't expect you to remember me. You met probably for hundreds of people, but um, if I saw a picture, I would though. I, I, I do have a picture. I'll send, send I'll one send. along if you can, in yeah. an email or a text or something. Yeah, and I'll, 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 I'll remember. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I you you were standing with a, a bunch of guys in the foyer, and and you walked across, mm-hmm. and you kind of caught my eye, and I just said. Kane, is it okay if I get a picture? And you said sure, and you came over, and my buddy took a picture. So, yeah, I'll, I'll send that did over. I, did I joke you, or was I friendly? Well, you, you were friendly. I'm, I'm about the same size okay. as you, <laughs> so I'll. Oh, I'll... Jesus Christ! How many people have you killed? <laughs> Not enough, man. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, ne- I never got a choke. I I did wonder, do you only choke the smaller guys? <laughs> Maybe I got I got off. No, no, I choke the big guys too. I I choke everybody. I have just so you know. Uh, I think the well, the smallest person I've ever choked in a picture was two weeks old. <laughs> so that's going to be hard to beat. I choked a ninety-three-year-old man. Oh man! <laughs> uh, I choked. I choked a guy that was 6'11". Wow. Uh, I choked a priest. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't have any limits to, as far as choking people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, I mean, how did, how did you enjoy your time in London? Oh, I loved it, man. Now, I didn't want to leave, really. Mm-hmm. In fact, I stayed a little longer, if you remember. Yeah, I was, yeah. You know, one, one patch it was... You know, the opening movie of the festival, uh, most of the cast left, mm. uh, if, if not all of them that were there, left. 
but I enjoyed the festival and enjoyed London so much I stayed to the very end. Oh, did you? <laughs> Until people were sick of seeing me. Yeah, I was I was there every day for watching movies and and uh, just enjoying the whole experience. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. That was my first fright fest, and uh, yeah, I'm hoping to go back every year. Hopefully. Yeah, I'm hoping to to go back again too. I mean, at some point, it was just so much fun, and the people involved were just the best. The, all the guys that run the festival are just fantastic, uh-huh. and uh, I, I really loved it. Good, good. Okay. Well, it's it's interesting that you know Hatchet seems to be filling the void that that used to be occupied by Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I mean. Where do you think Hatchet's doing things right? The you know the the Freddy and Jason movies seem to have stalled now. I mean, as a fan yourself, where do you think they're going wrong? Apart from not having you. Uh, well, I don't know if I can pinpoint where they're going wrong, but I can say that I think the <clears throat> the biggest success of Hatchet, and I I, I firmly believe this is the writing. Mm-hmm of the script and the story. Now, I can't think of very many movies in the past years that are so well written, especially horror movies, yeah. that are so well written that you don't dread the scenes in between the violence. Mm. So many movies, and even my own Friday movies, other horror movies I've done, so it seems like sometimes the scenes between the violence just drag and you're like, get this over with so we can get back to the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Hatchet, and I can take no credit for this myself at all, Hatchet and Hatchet 2, the scenes be- between the violence, between the other characters, are just as enjoyable as the violent scenes because mm-hmm. of the so well-written and and the performances of the actors. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at some of these characters, it's so funny to watch them interact mm. that it makes the whole movie much more fun. You got this these funny, clever, well acted moments and then very creative killing and then back to another fun scene of the other characters and then more killing. It's I think that's the success of the movie. Yeah, yeah. You got to have, you know, creative kills and an interesting killer, but you have to have scenes that are fun aside from that. Yeah. And that's where Adam Green's strength is, his writing. And I've said it many times that every time I do a kill as Victor, I almost never have to add anything to it. Yeah. Because it's so creative and graphic and fun as written that I never have to change it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the Friday stuff, a lot of times I would add my own flavor to it to enhance a kill. Yeah. But with Adam's stuff, I never have to hardly do anything. Now that the third movie has been confirmed and I, I, I probably know the answer to this one already, but can you actually tell us anything yet or? Uh, no, I can't. <laughs> I didn't think to so. To be honest with you, I don't know a lot yet. Yeah. About the story, even Adam, you know, even keeps things from us 
mm-hmm. until it's time for us to know. He, you know, I, I have some vague outline of the movie, but, you know, we really don't know much more past that. Just, uh, just that I, I would like to do it. I would hope Danielle does it. Yeah. And I would hope more than anything that Adam directs. Absolutely. Because I think it could be very different if, if Adam didn't direct it. So I'm, I'm really, really hoping he does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of throws my next question out because I, I was going to say, I know you've said he always challenges you with something new every time he puts you in a movie. Um, so oh, I was going to see sure. whether you knew what that was going to be yet, but I guess you don't know that either. No, that I don't know either. And then, and, and you know, I mean, my God, he has put me in in scenes in movies that I never dreamed I would be doing something like that back in the days when I was just a working stuntman. And every single time I do something as a character with him, he's gotten me, got me doing something I've never ever done before and never even dreamed I would do. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that would be this time, but, uh, I'm sure there will be something. Yeah. (laughs) Good, good. Now, I, I know that Adam had an idea for Hatchet 3. Uh, I remember him talking about it at Fright Fest. You know, he said, I've got an idea for it. Um, but do you think this is going to be a series with a definite end to it? Knowing Adam, I don't think he would continue doing these movies for the sake of doing them. Yeah. In other words, he he always knew he was going to do a sequel to Hatchet. Mm-hmm but not based on the success of it to try and make more money because he purposely left out a lot of stuff out of the first movie so that it could be told in the second one. Yeah. So I know Adam will not continue doing these movies just because they're successful. Mm. Absolutely not. If he has more story to tell and he's not done telling the story, he'll do it. But once he's done telling the story, that'll be it, in my opinion. Uh, I know that much about him that he would never just continue it because it's doing well. Yeah, yeah. Well, if there's nothing else to be told, he'll be done. Yeah, okay. Well, that's interesting in itself because, you know, like I say, a, a lot of these, a lot of the older series just kind of, much as we love them, they were being made just, you know, they wouldn't have any idea what was happening next. So uh, a series with a definite end is quite an interesting prospect, I think. Right, I do too. Mm-hmm. And even though I'd hate to stop playing Victor, if that's the way, the best way to tell the story, then that's what we'll do. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, just, just one more thing then, Kane. I mean, what's what's the plan now with the book and the tour and so on? Well, we certainly plan to travel all over the U.S. in October, November, part of December. And then after the holidays, we're probably going to do an international uh, tour for the book as well, which would include coming certainly to London and uh, a lot of other cities that I've enjoyed in the past. So it's just the you know, people that have read the manuscript are responding really well to it because it is not a resume yeah. of work. It's not a book about my career mm-hmm. only. 
certainly encompasses that, but it's a life story to telling, you know, it goes into depth about the burn injury. It talks about how I was bullied a lot when I was little. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's a life story as opposed to a career resume. And there's a lot of heart to it. And I think people are really going <clears> to <throat> respond well to it because people, a lot of people can identify with things that I went through and, and, uh, it's more, much more, uh, heartfelt than a typical actor's biography, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to read it, man. I really can't. So I, I hope you get over here, you know, I want, I want to get me copy signed. So, you know, fingers crossed. Oh, we will. Yeah. We'll get there. I love the city. I love the country. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll do everything I can to be there. Good, good. Okay, man. Well, Kane, that, that's all I've got. I, uh, I just want to say thanks a lot. You know, you've, you've been a hero of mine for years, so it, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, man. Well, thank you very much, Tom. And, uh, I'm sorry it made it so difficult, but at least we got it done. Yeah, no, man, it, it was not, it was nothing. It was fine. Okay. And send me a picture so I know what you look like. Okay, will do, will do, man. And uh, okay. yeah, hope hope to see you again if you get over this side. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by Gentlemen's grindhouse records with me chris clayton and tom elliott thank you to danny davis for the music and to dark ink one for the artwork you can visit our website at gentlemen's grindhouse records.com